0: Well, good morning this morning. Good morning, everyone. This morning, remember what I said last week. I said last week, I think we're going to go ahead and look at the crucifixion itself. Do you remember everybody I said that? Unless the Lord changes that. Today, we're not yet going to look at the crucifixion itself. And there's rumbling around in me. Two or three more lessons concerning the crucifixion as an overview. And I I have to always discern, is this God wanting to say something to the class? Or is it just God saying something to me? Just because you hear something doesn't mean it needs to be shared. Are, are you with me on that? And so I have to discern that. And so always be praying, for the discernment of the Holy Spirit from any teacher or pastor. And so, last week, you remember, we talked about the four major or eternal effects of the cross in relation to our sin. Now, once again, when we enter the Grand Canyon of the cross, it is Always more instructive and more experientially understandable. We get it. It makes more sense to us. We can see the scope and the grandeur and the magnificence of what is happening at the cross. In the same way as we enter the Grand Canyon already having an understanding in some way through looking at pictures or listening to teachings or whatever, of what this canyon is all about. So as we enter and we go down this particular trail, we see the issues and the activities or the sites of the trail. But what makes that trail so great is that we see that trail within the context of the entire canyon. Are you with me? and that's how we always want to see especially Jesus in gethsemane Jesus at the cross and Jesus in the resurrection exaltation we want to always make sure these are grand canyons of god's work not that other parts of the work are not so much but here we come if you would to the to the culmination the fulfillment of what god has been desiring to do since the very first words, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now we are at the place where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth is being manifested and fulfilled as to God's purpose. Do we see how the Bible works now? And so last week, you remember, we talked about what? The four major issues. What are they? Propitiation expiation, reconciliation, redemption. Now, if you weren't here last week, once again, I plead with you, get online, however you do that, and listen to what the Holy Spirit, I think, I'm trusting, is speaking to us. Not what Peter Davidson says, because what Peter Davidson in himself says isn't worth very much. I'm serious. I really mean that. You know, just another guy. But what the Holy Spirit speaks through any of us is of the most significance. So listen to that. Because as we go through the cross, we want to see what God is doing in relation to our sin in the suffering and the passion and in the death of this man. So this morning, though, we're going to continue to look at some of the cosmic issues involved in the cross. Cosmic issues. Cosmic issues. You know, I think if we read the words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for the forgiveness of our sins. We would agree with that. We would say, why did Jesus die? And I think most of us, the first answer would be, Jesus died to forgive me, to save me, right? Wouldn't that be about the first answer we would give? Oh, you're with me. You can respond. It's okay to do that in this class. Why did Jesus die? To forgive us, to save us, to give us eternal life. That probably would be the first answer. Is that an incorrect answer? No, it's not an incorrect answer. It's just an incorrect emphasis of the answer. It's a correct answer, but it's in the wrong place of significance. It's in the wrong place of significance. Because if we're not careful, and here's how it works. We don't believe that in works righteousness. Do you get it? We don't believe in man-centered gospel. You know what I'm talking about? But we proclaim, if we're not careful, a man-centeredness and a me-centeredness. If we answer, why did Jesus die? And the first thing that comes to our mind is about me. Do you see how it works? This is deep in all of us. It's deep in us. And so what happens is that the word of God applied by the Holy Spirit, God is freeing us, even as believers. Remember, it is for freedom that Christ died in Galatians. God is freeing us through the teaching of the word from this grip of self-centeredness. Even among us who are believers, when we look at the cross, we still see primarily ourselves. And so we want to make sure that the Holy Spirit corrects us or adjusts us, let's call it that. So if we were to say with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for the forgiveness of our sins, we would agree. And then in 1 Peter 2, 9, the apostle Peter explains the result of that forgiveness of sins. Remember, Jesus died to forgive us. And what is the result of that forgiveness? And let me read you this. All of you have heard this. This is just one of the passages that would explain why Jesus died, the result, rather, of Jesus dying for our forgiveness. You are a chosen race. He died to make us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's absolutely the truth. The truth. And so when we read these statements and we look at this, the emphasis, if we are not careful, if we are not careful, the emphasis becomes who we are in Christ. That's called identity, and it's absolutely a biblical concept. It's a biblical principle, who we are in Christ. Have any of you ever heard that? Teaching who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ. Any of you with me on that? You've heard that. Is it incorrect? No. If it's applied biblically and explained biblically, it's absolutely accurate. But if that's the teaching, and if that's the emphasis, then it has misapplied the emphasis of the Word of God. God. Oh, what do you mean? Who I am in Christ is all important. No, no, it isn't. It's secondary. And we need to be very careful that we're not making the secondary. We are the secondary issue at the cross. Can we be freed from this? All of us. I have the battle about this, against this and myself all the time, James. James. Can we be free of this self-absorption, even as believers, when we look at the cross of Jesus Christ? Because, Rick, you think, well, that, there we see something other than ourselves primarily. And so, why, why, why were we a, holy, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of chosen people? Why did God do this? In the rest of that verse, in 1 Peter 2, 9, he says this. For God's own possession, he has made us God's own possession, our identity in Christ. Why? That we may proclaim the excellency. Why? Why the cross? Why the incarnation? Why the resurrection? Why the creation? Why? 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 Primarily, it's not for or about us. And what does the end of the verse say? That he may what? Proclaim the excellencies of us who have been saved. Is that what it says? Are you following in your notes? No. That he may proclaim the excellencies of who? Him. Him, who? The Father. God. Christ. The Holy Spirit. The Trinity. The excellencies of him who has what? You can read it. Do you have it there? You can say it. Who has called us out of Colossians 1.13. There's Colossians 1.13 right there. You can write that down. That's a Colossians 1.13 statement. Who has called us out of darkness where? Into what? His. Do you see the pronoun? Into the excellencies of who? His marvelous grace is that is that what it says light. sorry light, light. great because when i said grace i thought is that what it says light why is god doing what he's done at the cross what's really happening what's really happening Yes, Jesus is dying for us. But is that what's really happening? You see, Jesus' atoning death was all about. May I repeat that word? I don't know if it's in your notes. Jesus' atoning death was all. May I repeat that word? Coach, what did I say? All is all about the glory. The glory, I want to make sure I read it the way I had it. Display of God's glory in his redeemed people. It's about the glory of God. The cross is primarily, you notice I said primary and secondary. Did all of you get that? I don't want you to leave here today and say, Pastor Peter said the cross isn't for us. We're talking about primary and secondary. The cross is primarily for God's glory and honor in the death of his incarnate atoning son for our sin so that we could be made the excellencies of to manifest the excellencies excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So when someone says to you, Mike, what is the cross about primarily? Or what is the cross about? It's about God. Joe, it's about God. Mike, it's about God. Chris, it's about God. Jeff, it's about God. It's about God. It's for God. And it's from God. Joe? Well, yeah, the, yeah, the Gentile, that's further down. But you're right. It's about God. So when you think of the cross and we look at the crucifixion, don't have yourself primarily in the picture. Whom should you be seeing primarily at the cross? The Father's glory, the revelation of the Father. So let's talk about that. This means that our salvation, this means that our salvation is God's means. Do you have that in your note? Do you have an underline, a, a bold? It means that our salvation is not the goal of God. It's not God's goal. It's God's means to get to his goal. We have to see the word and the work of God within the correct context. Otherwise, we become too much entangled in what we think its meaning is. And then all of a sudden, when things in our life are not going the way we think it should, because of what we think we see in the Bible, God has to be called to an account of us. Because you know God, you said this, you did whatever. The cross is God's means through which he accomplishes eternal, his eternal plan to glorify himself in us. So listen to this verse, which all of you know about. These two verses from 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. For God's divine power has granted to us, has granted to us. Remember, God grants. He grants repentance. He grants forgiveness. He grants we don't earn it. He grants it. He granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How much? All things. Through the knowledge of Christ, who called us to his own glory and excellency, so that through them, you, we, may become partakers in the divine nature. See, that's the essence of what the word in Isaiah seven fourteen means. I know all of you know what that word is in Isaiah 7:14. And behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. If you want a description of what Emmanuel means, read 1st Peter, I'm sorry, 2nd Peter 4, especially but 3 and 4. 3 explains how you get to 4. Acts two thirty So when we're looking at the cross we must first remember and keep in mind, Joe. Where, where Isaiah seven fourteen is explained in Second Peter one, three, and four. So when we look at the cross, we must first remember that the cross is the work of God through the death of his son. For the accomplishment of his eternal will. This means that we need to make sure. That we're looking at the cross. The same way God looks at the cross. Rather than looking at it from the perspective. Of who I am. What I am. How I am. What I'm getting about it. You see our identity in Christ. Who I am in Christ. I met with a couple Oh, a while back, and she was having all kinds of struggles, and she kept saying, you know, I, she, she was raised in another church. She, I, you know, I know I was taught who we are in Christ and our identity in Christ. I know it's true. I'm just struggling, whatever, and, let her, you know, and I said, wait a minute. Did they teach you anything? No, that was the emphasis. I said, it's a misplaced emphasis. See, what do you mean? I said, here's the emphasis of the word of God, not who I am in Christ but who this God is in me. Then who I am in Christ begins to take on the meaning that God desires it to have. So identity, you've heard that, the identity teaching, should be first and foremost, who is this God in me that's the way you think if you want to be enlarged by the spirit take your mind off who you are in christ and your benefits and drink in who this god is in me who are you that you would reside in me and within that context you will begin to understand who you are in Christ within, the, the, within a way that really glorifies the Father's purpose. Amen? Let's not get it backward anymore. We've been instructed by the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.23, you see, this is God's work. Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. See, this is why Jesus embraced the cross with joy. You see, we think he embraced the cross with joy because he saw a saved people. Well, Chris, he did see a saved people. Right? He did see a saved people. Are you with me? Jesus in the spirit by faith saw a saved people in his passion and death, didn't he? But this isn't the essence of the joy. This is a product, byproduct of something that gave Jesus great joy. What was the Great joy. Lo, I have come to do thy will. That's the joy of Jesus, knowing that doing the will of the Father, the fruit of which is a people to God's own glory, who show forth the excellencies of him who has called us through the cross out of what? Darkness into his marvelous light. Because remember the first command in the Bible is what? Let there be light. Jesus says, I am the light. Remember that? And 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the gospel of Christ who is the image of the glory of the gospel of Christ who is the image of God. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. That doesn't mean it's not right to talk about us and the benefits. But don't make it the primary issue. Make us and our benefits and our identity always the result of God. Amen? This is the way the gospel is. This is the gospel. The gospel is not me, me, me. The gospel is he, he, he. That's the gospel. Now, I know when you hear this, all of a sudden you begin to, oh, my God, however, isn't God good to use our faulty understanding? Because every one of us, no matter who we are, and we took the collected knowledge and understanding of every believer who ever lived and stood before God. It is a less than a thimble fill of information and knowledge as we stand before this God. And thankfully, he uses all of us who had the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean we want to be loose. We want to learn. We want to be accurate. You know, Jeff is a, uh, what are you, Jeff? A tennis player. He's a coach, aren't you? And Jeff, if I swing it this way, I don't play tennis. I don't like it. It's a real racket. So, And so if I move my arm this way and hit the ball, I get the ball across the net. But Jeff's going to stop me and say, wait a minute. That was okay. That was good. But it wasn't quite what it should be. Do you do that with people? Or do you just say, well, at least he got it across the net, so I'm not going to worry about it. Thankfully, he got across the net. Now, with me, he'd say that. But with somebody else, he wouldn't. But isn't that right, Jeff? You want... What's that? What's that? That's God. I hear God in that. I hear God in that. So, look. The joy that was set before him. Listen to that. Remember John 17? Do you remember the context of John 17? Jesus has had dinner with the disciples. His last supper. They go out. And Jesus prays this prayer in John 17. You remember that? After he prays this prayer, then he enters Gethsemane. This prayer is not during Gethsemane, it's before. So this is the great prayer, the last prayer that Jesus prays. And you would think, Father, I want you to do this for these people. I want you to listen to how he begins. Listen to where the emphasis lies in Jesus' high priestly prayer, as it's called. When Jesus had spoken these words, remember about the Holy Spirit and about him going away and, you know, you're going to have the Holy Spirit, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all those words, chapters 13, 14, and 15, and 16, then you have 17. When Jesus spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Why? Why? And by the way, what is he meaning, glorify your son? When? 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 At the cross, glorify your son. Why? Why? That the son may glorify you. There's the purpose. You see, the purpose of God is all over the Bible. We just haven't seen it clearly enough. We've had our eyeglasses on backward or something. We've heard teaching that emphasizes us and who we are and what we can be and, and, and how we can get things from God in our prayer time and, again, our identity in Christ. I am not against that. It just has to be within the right context for it to be the truth of God to the power of God. Since you gave, you have given him, Jesus is talking about himself. He's talking about himself, third person, <clears throat> authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. And then remember in verse 3, he identifies or defines rather what eternal life is. The cross is the means of the Father's glory being manifested in the sacrificing, loving, willful, dependent, submitted death of his son. Through the redemption of his people. You see, the glory of God is the manifestation of the essence of who God is in himself. The glory of God is the manifestation... Of all that God is in himself, all of his attributes, all of his nature, all of his character, the glory of God is not one or the other. The glory of God is the comprehensive revelation of the comprehensive nature and essence and character and attributes of God as he gives it to us. In what word do I want? In a limited fashion. Correct? In a limited fashion because we're finite people and it cannot be manifested in us infinitely. So you, you understand what we're saying here. And there are certain act, attributes or characteristics of God that he manifests more clearly and more commonly Not to the negation or the ignoring of other attributes because in every, make sure you hear what I'm going to say. In every attribute of God is contained every other attribute in fullness. Did you get that? So it's not just the justice of God and then there's the mercy of God and then the love of God and then there's this of God and the holiness of God and the omniscience of God. Every attribute is fully contained in every other attribute of God, right? Are you awake this morning? At least do something so I'll know you're listening. I know you're listening, but at least, you know. And so there is a particular attribute of God that is most clearly, I think, and forcibly demonstrated in the cross or in the incarnation in the entire life, culminating, if you would, in the cross. It's like climbing the hill. So what is this glory? It is the revelation of God's unique, kind, Kadesh, holy, Kadesh, holy, unique, one of a kind love. We've talked about this before. I'm generally prone not to say God's love I'm generally prone to say God's kind of love, which when I say it that way, that forces a differentiation between what we understand as love and who's, what God's love is. And I've said before, the danger that we have is we believe that now that we have been saved by the merciful love of God, Ephesians two four. because of that, now the Holy Spirit is at work in me trying to... You heard what I said, trying, because I'm saying it wrongly. That's why I use the word try, because God never tries anything, Lisa. He does. God never attempts anything. He does. Correct, Chris? He accomplishes his will fully and every time. But God is trying to take my love and make it better. Now, come on. Isn't this the thought? Are oh, you? Yeah. You're right? Anybody in here? I'm going to try to be more. I ask God to make me more, and it's it's our kind of love, Beth. You see, it's it's we're thinking about ourselves in this. So, Valinda, if you're critical of some of your students, you ask Holy Spirit, "Oh Lord, help me not to be critical." You're talking about yourself. But what God is doing is he's transforming our fallen, self-centered, egotistical, self-serving, self-aggrandizing love into and by his unique kind of love. So that the love that I am experiencing and expressing in me as a believer is not my love indigenously, you know, by nature. It is God's love in me being pour it out. So I'm now loving you, hopefully, in the various ways of the fruit of the Spirit with God's kind of love. It's not that Peter Davidson is being made better. God didn't save me to make me better. He saved me to put away the old self in order to bring forth the new self in Christ. And so as we pray for God's love to be manifested in us, we're praying that our love will be transformed into and by his unique kind of love. So that that's the fruit of the pertaining to, from, about the spirit, Galatians 5.22. That's the fruit of the spirit. He's not trying to make me more self-controlled. Okay, get a hold of yourself. Get a hold of yourself. He's giving to me and producing in me the very self-control that Jesus himself exercised by the power of the Spirit when he lived on earth. Amen? It's that. It's not about me for me. And we need to be freed of all of this so we can genuinely be experiencing and expressing what God is doing in the cross and in the resurrection. The ultimate purpose of the cross is the display of the glory of the, here's, I I don't know any more how to say it. I, 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 I wrestled and labored over this little sentence for a while, hopefully hearing from the Holy Spirit accurately. The ultimate purpose of the cross is the display of the glory of the Father's love. Now, remember, when we talk about any attribute of God that does negate nor put aside other attributes, because within the, con- within the attribute of God's love, what? Every other attribute is fully there. Are you with me? All right, because sometimes, you know, we get foolish and silly on this and we break up the attributes. It's okay to do that to describe him and understand him, but it's not okay to think that these are categories in God. There are no such things as categories in God. God is one in himself. So the ultimate purpose of the cross is the display of the glory of the Father's love for the Son. And the reciprocal love of the Son for his father, as manifested in the propitiatory, propitiatory death of the son, so that the love that the father has for the son and that the son has for the father may be manifested and expressed in us. And that's what 1 John 3 1 says. What does it say? What does 1 John 3 1 say? See what, what? Love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. What is that love? That love essentially is not that God loves me. God does love me. He does love you. But the reason we're saved is that the Father's love for his Son and the Son's Obedient love for the Father is manifested at the cross so that the love that God has within Himself among the three persons of the Trinity may be given to us and experienced by and expressed through us. Do you see that we are the objects? We are not the subject. Correct? John 14 31. I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. John 10:17 The Father loves me why? Because I lay down my life. So there is that sharing of that agape love within the context of the Trinity. For God to declare the glory of his intrinsic. You know what intrinsic means? Part of my nature. It's me, intrinsic. It's me. For God to declare the glory of his intrinsic love necessitates the original creation. Why did God create, Darlene? To declare his love, which includes every other attribute. But this is the attribute I think that shines forth most clearly in the word of God. Not to negation of any other. So if someone would say, it's holiness or it's righteousness, whatever. We're just emphasizing the love of God in the cross. Certainly the righteousness of God is in the cross. The holiness of God is in the cross. But remember, it's not holiness and love and righteousness. It's all of one. So it's like taking a facet of a diamond and saying, this facet is the diamond. Well, no, the diamond is the diamond. You just may be looking at one facet more than the others for a particular reason. But it doesn't exclude, and in fact, it understands the inclusion of the other diamonds. I mean, of facets, right? Okay. For God to declare the glory of his intrinsic love necessitates the original creation. Underline that word. Do you have that in your, 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 your lip? Underline the word Necessitates. Necessitates. I think I'm going to try to get through this on time. God is bound by nothing or no one external to himself, but is bound by his own nature and character. You got it? God is not bound by anything or anyone external to himself, but he is bound by his own nature and his character, or his will, or his dispositions, e- disposition, etc. So when I say necessitate," God, when He created for the purpose of displaying his love, he had to go through this. Well I didn't think God had to do anything. Well yes, he does. He has to be in concert with his character. He has to decide and to will and to work according to his character. He cannot deny himself. So it necessitates the love of God, necessitates the creation. It necessitates the fall. It necessitates the entire Old Testament. It necessitates the incarnation of the Son it necessitates the cross and the resurrection, the exaltation of the Son, which results in the new creation and the sending of the Holy Spirit for the creation of the church to be, the consummate, to be consummated in the return of the glorified Son from heaven in the formation of the new heaven and earth. That's what's going on. The glory of the Father and then the reciprocal glory of the Son's love, the Father's love and the Son's love, This is how God has chosen to display it. And this is why he's chosen to display it. Why? Because there is no other like our God. There's no other. And he's right to display it. Because he is right, therefore he is right to display what is right. (laughs) He's right to display what is right. Right? He's good to display what is good. He's loving to display what is loving. May I, should I continue? Do you get the idea? So then from the meaning of the name Emmanuel, remember we talked about Emmanuel 7, 14 of Isaiah, will be fulfilled, the meaning of Emmanuel fulfilled in the eternal fellowship of God and his people. The cross is about the glory of God in his forgiven, justified, and adopted people. We should not see ourselves as the goal of God in the cross, but as the means of the manifestation of his glory. This is the message of the gospel, that we need to be clear in our own hearts and minds and understandings that will allow us to receive and understand and experience more fluidly the power and the direction and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us, because if we're not careful and we don't see it this way, but we see ourselves as the issue here of of the cross, then when things are not going according to my opinion and my whatever, we stumble on what is happened, what has happened at the cross, and why God has done it, and what's going what's going wrong. Uh, amen. We stumble. Because we're looking at ourselves too much and we don't see the path upon which we walk. And the only way, clearly rather, and the only way to see the path on which we walk clearly is to see the glory of God in every step. And so you wonder why I wonder why I don't wonder why at all, why I stumble and fall. I know why I fall and stumble and fall because I'm not seeing, Mary, the glory of God clearly enough. And it's not that I cannot, I refuse to. I can, I just what? Refuse to because there's another step here that I want to take. And when I take it, whoop, I'll fall. We're not talking about inadvertent stuff. We're talking about purposeful stuff. See, this is the message of the cross. The love with which the Father loves the Son and the Son's love for the Father is given to us by grace received through faith. What verse is that? By grace through faith. Ephesians 2.8. You can write that down if you like to. John 17.26. Jesus said that the love that you have for me may be in them. Jesus said, my joy I give to you. Whose joy? My joy. I didn't come to make you joyful. I came to give you my joy. My peace. I didn't come to make you peaceful. I came to give you my peace. Do you see the difference? If he came to make me peaceful, something else is going to come to make me peaceful. Unpeaceful. If it came to make me joyful, something's going to take away my joy. It's impossible. I can lose maybe some of the experience of it, but He's given me gifts. He's given you gifts which cannot be taken away because of the character of Him and the promise of Him who has given it. It's a secure foundation, a secured salvation to the uttermost. He saves us. Where does that say that? Hebrews 725, I think he saves to the uttermost because he ever intercedes for us at the right hand of the father. All of this is to affirm what the scripture says in first Corinthians eight, six, there is one God, the father from whom are all things, including the cross, and for whom we exist. All things, especially the cross, are for the Father's glory. Why? Because at the cross, the glory of God shines most clearly until the exaltation of the Son. You see, we haven't gotten that. We haven't gotten to the greatest. We think the cross is the greatest glory. No, it's the means to the glory to be manifested in us. In this risen, ruling, and returning, exalted, heavenly man, the Son of Man. Jesus Christ, through whom were all things and through whom we exist. The Father's glory is through the death of his Son. It is for God's glory. It is about God's glory. And we are the recipients of that glory. But God is the eternal subject amen so pray next week and and for me to hear from god about the next whether we're going to go into the actual scriptures or not thank you